Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Paul, writing old to the church at Philippi, said to them, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence. And look at these next words. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And Paul doesn't say work for your salvation with fear and trembling, but work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What's he talking about? He's talking about growing into spiritual maturity. He's talking about growing into being a true disciple of Jesus. You work out what God has worked in. Work out your salvation means to grow into the fullness of your salvation in this life. Salvation is more than just having eternal life and having your sins forgiven. Those two things happen immediately when you become a Christian. But salvation is more than that. It's growing into Christ's likeness. It's growing into the fullness of eternal life. So are you growing into spiritual maturity? Are you more spiritually mature today than you were last year on this day? You say, well, I I hope so, or yes, I am. And then I would come back and say, well, how do you know you are? How do you know if you're more spiritually mature than you were last year this time? What are you gauging that on? How are you measuring that? Well, I've been giving you an instrument, an instrument that you can use, and you'll be receiving it, and you have received it in your bulletin today, to help you to measure your spiritual growth into Christ's likeness. We are looking at what it means to be a true disciple of Christ. Now, I've broken down a true disciple into four areas. First, it's loving Jesus personally. That's where it all begins. You can't go any further than that. Until you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you can never be a disciple. All you can have apart from a relationship with Jesus is a religious life, a religion. You cannot have Christianity. But once you know Jesus personally, you move on to loving others practically. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one was love your neighbor as yourself. We saw those two last week. Today we're going to look at the next two. And that is to serve others joyfully and to share Jesus relationally. So we're going to ask you, are you growing in being a true disciple? You will have received a Christian growth survey. And this Christian growth survey is broken up into each of these four areas. There are ten questions for each area. You will grade yourself 1 to 10 on each area. You go back, you tally the scores. We've been doing this for six years with the hopes that your scores are getting better each year. 
You should see, not only can you see where you are in the process, because spiritual growth is a process. It is a continuum, as you will see on the slide on the screen. So you grow in your spiritual maturity. You do all these four things and you continue to grow in each area. You grow in loving Jesus more personally. You grow in serving others. You grow in loving others. It just continues to grow. Well, where are you, where are you on this continuum? This survey helps you to tell that. It also gives you a, a snapshot of where you are, but it tells you where you need to work. See, if you're low, three or four on something, then that's where you need to work. So you can improve that during the coming year. And what I encourage you to do is take one or two things a month where you're low and work on those things. And we'll be encouraging you to do that throughout the year. But now let's look in more detail at the second two aspects of being a true disciple. Serving others joyfully. Take your Bibles, turn over to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. The book of Ephesians. Chapter 2, in this chapter, Paul is talking about salvation. He talks about a person before they are a Christian. And then he talks about a person becoming a Christian. And then he talks about what should happen after we become Christians. Now, in respect for the Word of God, let me ask you to stand. And I'll be reading verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You may be seated. Now verse 10 gives us some key truths about serving others joyfully. First thing it tells us in verse 10 is that we are created for good works. God doesn't take you to heaven immediately after He saves you. He leaves you here. He leaves you here to do good works. We are saved to serve, not to sit. He created us in Christ Jesus for good works. He made you a new creation. He redeemed you so that you can do good works to His glory. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see, what? Your good works. And what's the purpose of that? And glorify your Father who is in heaven. You and I are saved to glorify God, and one of the primary ways we glorify God is through our good works. So, you are saved to do good works. Secondly, God prepared us to do the good works. You are His workmanship. Now that word workmanship, we get an English word poem from that. You ever thought about it? A poem is a work of art. It is a 
deal of workmanship. A poet crafts his words. He spends time putting his words just so that they will express what he wants to express. It's a work of art, just like a painting is a work of art. You are God's workmanship. He has fashioned you. He has made you unique and special for the good works He wants you to do. He has given you a personality. He's given you talents. He has given you spiritual gifts, all in line with the good works He wants you to do. You are handcrafted by God to do the good works. And none of us are the same. We are all unique. And so when God created you, God placed within you His workmanship. He formed you. He made you just the way He did because He had certain good works for you to do. And so He suited you for those good works. Now, how do you determine the good? how you are? How do you determine uh, what works God has for you? Well, look at how God's made you. Study the spiritual gifts. And if you have not done a spiritual gift survey, contact the church office, and we have some websites you can go to. Find out what your spiritual gifts are, because naturally, God's going to have the works for you to do that are in line with your spiritual gift. Also, notice your passions. God has given you a unique, Spiritual heartbeat. What are you passionate about? I mean, are you passionate about helping people? About seeing people in need and stepping forth and doing something? Are you passionate about teaching God's Word? Are you passionate about helping in situations where you see a need? Are you passionate about organizing things and bringing things together? What concerns you, what burdens your heart is probably in line with your spiritual gifts. A person that has the gift of organization will come to me sometimes and say, Preacher, you know, I'm really bothered that we don't have more organization in such and such area. It bothers them because that's their spiritual gift. And guess what? God wants them to get in there and organize it. That's why when you come to me with a burden, my first response is, you got the burden. God's probably saying He wants you to do it. Right? You know, Pastor, I'm burdened that we're not reaching our community more. Well, you got the gift of evangelism. Let's get out there and reach it. Get it going. So where you're burdened is where your emotional heartbeat is that says something about the work that God has for you to do. And then consider the natural talents that you were born with. God gave us all certain abilities when we're born, and He has those in mind for the spiritual gifts and spiritual works we're going to do. The one who naturally communicates, and you know some people just have a better natural ability to communicate than others. They just have the gift of gab, you might say, right? Well, is it surprising when God calls them to be a preacher or calls them to be a teacher or calls them to be an evangelist? Some people come into the world organized in the delivery room. They are just organized from the time they're three or four years old. They want all their toys in a certain place. Well, is it any surprise that God gives them the gift of organization? Not a bit. Or well, one has, uh, naturally has the ability to fix things. They're always tinkering with things. And, and from the time they're young, they like to tear things down and put things back together. And they want to see how things work. Is it any wonder that that person has the gift of helps and they're able to go out and do things and help 
uh, the kingdom of God and serve in the church in fixing things, in doing things. So ask yourself, what am I able to do? What are the natural abilities that God has given me? This will be in line with the work that He's called you to do. And then not only look at your spiritual gifts, not only look at your emotional heartbeat, not only look at the natural talents you have, but also look at your personality. What kind of personality do you have? Again, some people, is it surprising that somebody's got a real outgoing personality, a real take-charge personality, has a spiritual gift of leadership? Is that amazing? No. Is it amazing that someone that just has a personality that is tender and that is compassionate has the gift of mercy? No, it falls right in line, doesn't it? Is it amazing that someone who has that personality that just engages people and enjoys engaging people and networks with everybody and just can't get enough of being around people, that that person has a gift of evangelism? Is that any wonder? No, not at all. And so look at the personality that God has given you, the personality blend that He has given you. This also indicates the good work that He has for you because you're handcrafted. And then reflect on God, how He's used you. What things has He used you to do? Look back. These are your spiritual markers. These can indicate for you how God will use you in the future. What things have, as you look back, you know, I didn't realize it, but I got involved in, in, in this singing group. I was involved in high school in this group that went around and, and we sung for youth groups, Christian groups. Well, I mean, that was said something. I got a chance to share my testimony. I got a chance to preach a few times in youth services. Well, I got to look at that as a spiritual marker. Why did God bring that into my life? Maybe he's saying something to me through that. So look at your experiences, how God has used you. And because you are handcrafted, as you look at yourself, it's a good indication of how God is going to use you. Because you are His workmanship. Not only has God saved you to serve, not only has He made you a special way, but look at this. He's prepared the good works for you to do, which God prepared beforehand. I mean, God has good works He's already prepared for you to do. Part of the preparation is Christ's enabling power working in you. He handcrafted you to do the good works, and He designed the good works for you to do. It's a win-win situation. It's a perfect fit. He designed you. He prepared the good works. You go together. Everything's fine. Right? Win-win. It's like somebody comes up to me and says, you know, i got a job for you. We want, we want to actually pay you. And I say, to do what? He said, we want to pay you to visit the best steakhouses in Atlanta. And we want you to go and we'll pay for your meal. I've been made for that job. We'll pay for your meal. We, we just want you to tell us what you think about the steaks. How did you like them? Now, that's win-win in my book, right? So God has made you. He's prepared the works. All you need to do is get them together. And notice what else he says. So that you might walk in them. Serving God is indispensable to true discipleship. 
Serving God and others is indispensable. Good works come after our salvation, not before. We don't work for salvation, but once we're saved, we're to do good works. Look, Paul says that we would walk in them. Not that we might walk in them. Paul just assumes we're going to do it. Why? Because he knows that God has made you to do good works. He's handcrafted you to do them. He's prepared the works particularly for you that he wants you to do. So why wouldn't he assume you would do them? Because it's a win-win situation. A true disciple must be serving God and others joyfully. Now we expect every member of this church to be serving God somewhere in this local church. Somewhere. And if you're not, you need to get involved. Because God has placed the members in this church that He wants in here, He says, because He has a service for you to do. He takes a human body, Paul says. Just like the human body has many parts, they all do different things, but they're all important. And he says, so God is placed within the local church, individual members, to do what He wants you to do. Now, whether it's, it's working in the nursery, whether it's helping set up for events, whether it's serving on a committee, whether it's teaching a class, whether it's being a deacon, whether it's uh, working in one of the organizations like RUI, working at Vacation Bible School, whether it's being a part of the prayer ministry. Now, every one of us here can be a part of the prayer ministry. I mean, all you have to do is call the office and say, Jerry, put me on the calling list that when a prayer request comes in, I will get an automatic phone call with a recording of the prayer request. You can serve God in that capacity. That is important. Everybody needs to be serving God somewhere in the local church. So ask yourself, where am I serving God at Westside? Where am I serving the family of God at Westside? What am I doing? Whether look at yourself, look at how God made you, look at what the, the needs in the church are, and then step forward and do those. So the first thing we see today is serving others joyfully. Where are you along this process? Where are you? All right, let's now move to the last aspect of being a true disciple, and that is sharing Jesus relationally. Sharing Jesus' relation. Now, turn over to John's Gospel, chapter 1. Here John gives us an insight and a look into Jesus' calling of some of his disciples. And what I want you to see is how relationships were so in, intricately involved in this calling of people to Jesus and people coming to Jesus. That's why we say sharing Jesus relationally. As you build relationships with people, that builds a bridge that you might share Christ. John's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and what John said was, Behold the Lamb of God, 
And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, he, Jesus, purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Well, what does Philip do? Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also in the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You see what we have going on here? People are meeting Jesus, and then what do they immediately do? They go to their close friends, and they say, let me introduce you to Jesus. Something has happened. I have found the greatest thing there is, and so I want to tell somebody about it. Well, they tell somebody they have a relationship with. And the person they have a relationship with receives it because they have a relationship. If Andrew had just gone to some stranger on the street and said, Hey, I found the Messiah that we've been looking for. That person probably would have thought he was crazy and would not have believed him. But he went to someone he had a relationship with, someone who knew him, someone who trusted him, and he said, Look, I found Jesus. Come and see. And he went. This is the purest form of evangelism. When you are so filled with Jesus, you cannot help but talk to Him to people that you have a relationship with. I mean, we tell people that we have a relationship with all the time, things that mean a lot to us, things that we're excited about. I mean, you get a great deal, you go and say, Hey, man, I found this great deal. You need to know about it. Because we want them to get get in on what we've gotten in on because it's so good. Well, this is what... True evangelism is. We're so caught up with Jesus, we're so in love with Jesus, we cannot help but tell our friends about Him. Jesus told His disciples that they would be fishers of men in Mark chapter 4. Now as Jesus was walking, excuse me, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon who was called Peter and Andrew, His brother cast in a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And we know in the Great Commission, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You've got to tell people about Jesus. Now there are different ways of doing evangelism. Some, I think, seem to work better than others. It's called witnessing, it's called missions, it's called sharing Jesus' love with others, many names for it, but it's sharing Jesus. There is aggressive evangelism. This is where you go door to door, people you don't even know, and you share Jesus with them. This is where you give somebody a track uh, at the airport, or maybe like we do during Christmas as you're shopping, and you check out and you hand the clerk a track. That's called aggressive evangelism. Uh, that's probably one of the less natural ways. That's the way that most people are not comfortable with. Some people are, and I think it has a place, and so I don't say don't do that. 
If that's what God's gifted you to do, then go for it. There's a place for that. But then there is another type of evangelism, short-term mission trips. Going on a mission trip so that you can share Christ with others. In fact, our Hispanic church is going to be taking a mission trip to Mexico this summer for three weeks where they're going to be going and, and using their construction abilities to help repair a church and then spend time going out into the community sharing Jesus with that community then having services and bringing them in. That's a form of evangelism. Online missionary. You've heard me speak of global media outreach. Uh, I and another person in this church are members of that, Slater Davis, and People go to this site, people from all over the world go to a site and it gives them an opportunity to, to say if they have come to know Christ or they want to know more or they want to grow in their faith and they respond and we get an email from that person and we get to respond back to them answering their question or helping them grow in spiritual maturity or introducing Christ to them, doing evangelism. That's a means. I have had a chance to communicate with people all over the world this way. Amazing. That's available. If you're interested in that, see me or see Slater. Just takes a few moments at your computer and you can do that. And then there is relational evangelism. Now I want you, this is where you build relationships with people and as God opens a door, you share Jesus. You share Him by your loving actions you share Him by your loving attitudes. And then when God opens the door, you share Him with your words. You build those relationships. First, notice in our passage, it was spontaneous. Jesus didn't command Andrew to go tell his brother Peter, did He? He didn't say, now go tell Peter. Uh-uh. It was spontaneous. Andrew wanted to go tell Peter. Because he had found the Messiah. He had found something that was so great. Next, it was the overflow of his relationship with Jesus. I mean, it just overflowed. It just came out. He wanted to, he was so impressed with Jesus, he couldn't contain himself. His love for Jesus overflowed. And it naturally flowed from his relationship with Peter. You think it was awkward? When he came up to Peter and said, Peter, I have found what we had, that man we've been looking for, all that we've heard about, I found Jesus. You think that was awkward? You think he, he felt, well, well, you know, I don't know if I can say this or not. No, it just flowed out of their relationship. It was natural. And that's why we are encouraging you to be involved in relational evangelism. That means that you intentionally build relationships with non-Christians for the purpose of sharing the love of Jesus with them. And I use the word intentional because research has shown that three years after a person becomes a Christian, most, if not all, of their friends are Christians. We just gravitate toward people who love Jesus like we do. And so you have got to intentionally make an effort to build a relationship with a non-Christian, with an unbeliever. It might be somebody at work. It might be somebody at school. It might be someone, a parent in your child's athletic team. 
It might be a neighbor, but you're going to have to step out and intentionally build that relationship. It's not going to just happen because you're probably a little bit uncomfortable around them because if they're not a Christian, they probably don't talk like you talk. They probably don't do some of the things you do, and they probably do some things you don't do. Uh, Their interests might be a little different. So you intentionally step out and build that relationship. Now, unless you or someone who might be thinking, well, preacher, isn't that kind of underhanded to to build a relationship with somebody just so you can share Jesus with them? I mean, uh, is that taking advantage? Well, let me ask you this. Say you had a sure cure for cancer. I mean, you knew it would work. But you knew it sounded so outlandish that if you just went up to your neighbor who had cancer and you said, you know, i got a cure for cancer, here it is. They would think, who's this nut? They're not going to believe me. But if you took time to build a relationship with them and they got to know you and they knew you were a person of integrity and they knew you were a person who was generally concerned about them and then you said to them, let me share with you, I know a cure for this cancer that you have. Wouldn't they be much more likely to listen to what you had to say, to accept it, built on your relationship? So here's what I'd like to challenge you to do. Either at work or at school or in your neighborhood. You and your spouse, if you're married, if not, you get with the Lord and say, God, show me somebody in my sphere of influence where I move either at work, school, neighborhood. Show me somebody that you want me to begin to build a relationship with, and it might be that person that irritates you the most. That you want me to build a loving relationship with them to show Jesus through my actions, through my attitude, and then when you open the door, it might be through some crisis they are going through, it might be through something else, but when he opens the door, you'll know it's open, and you can share about Jesus and His gospel truth. Would you do that? Would you do that this week? Pray, ask God to show you somebody, and then husband and wife get together and begin to pray for that person, begin to strategize and think, how can we build a relationship with this person? With The idea of seeing Christ. If we all did that, and even half of them came to Christ, wouldn't that be a glorious thing? Wouldn't that be glorious? And if not, you're building a relationship, and God's going to use that. God is going to use you as a Christian in that person's life as you live the Christian life. Now, you've got to be living it. Don't be a hypocrite. Live it, but show the love of Christ, and God will be glorified. All right, look at your spiritual growth survey. You have it in your bulletin. Let me just make sure we all understand what we're doing here. Each of these four areas are covered in one of these sections. There are ten questions in each section graded one to ten, zero to ten. What you do is you read that question and then you circle where you are, zero being least, ten being all the way. 
And you'll go through each area, and then you'll add up the score and put it down at the bottom. So under each column, you'll have a numeric number. The max is 100. And then you will turn to the back, and you will put your total score. You add all those together and put your total score up here. You keep this. You don't turn this in. This is yours. This is your guide to help you see where you need to grow spiritually, things you need to do. Because you'll want to keep coming back to this, pick some areas you're low on, and start working on those. All right? Then you will take this disciple's report, and we ask you to put your Sunday school teacher's name on it so we'll know which class and, and how things are going. If you don't have a Sunday school teacher, leave it blank. You will take the scores that you totaled up under each column and you will put them on the appropriate place on the disciples' cross. If you scored 87 under loving Jesus, you'll put 87 right there. If you scored 75 under loving others, then you'll put 75 right there once you've added up your numbers under that column on this. Now this is what you turn in, but your name's not on it anywhere. We don't know who you are. We just want to see how our church is doing in these areas and what we need to improve on. Okay? Then you put this in the offering plate, put it in one of the boxes, turn it in to the church. But I want to encourage you to take time this week to do that. Don't just stick it in your Bible and forget about it. It won't do you a bit of good. Take it, use it, let it be an instrument to help you grow spiritually. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Are you working out your salvation? How do you know? How are you measuring that? This is a way that you can measure. Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our Internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, this is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcomed at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.